This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to episode 15 of Reimagine Law. Today's episode is all around public interest lawyering. I'm joined today by my colleague, Fran Rydow. Fran, I'll hand over to you to introduce our guests. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. Um, we're super, super delighted today to welcome two guests who are really uh, leaders in the field in this area. Uh, we've got Helen Moat, who is a human rights and public law solicitor at the Public Interest Law Centre, and Matthew Oluwalia, who is an employed barrister um, at the Public Law Project. So welcome both of you to our podcast. I don't know if I can start by just asking you to introduce a bit about your role and organisation and, and perhaps tell the tell our listeners how you got to your position in your organisation as well. Um, Helen, I don't know if we could start with you. Um, Yeah, so um, I currently work in public law and actions against public authorities. Um, I've recently been representing clients in cases involving housing, homelessness, um, domestic abuse, education, and also I do some anti-austerity type cases, um, and that's basically challenging cuts made to public services by local government. Um, And I'm also working on a few unlawful detention claims at the moment as well, so I've got quite a wide practice. Um, PILP as an organisation specialises primarily in public law, actions against public authorities, and we also are um, representing some core participants in the undercover policing inquiry at the moment. Um, and we, uh, we we conduct research in areas that we think need radical change, um, and we try to then develop strategic litigation in those areas. Um, and we also like to think that we support communities and activists in trying to use the law as a sort of tool for social change as well. Um, in terms of how I got into my role, um, it's quite, I've had quite a torturous history. Um, I started my training contract at Public Interest Lawyers, or PIL as it was called, um, and that was really my first proper experience in strategic or public interest litigation. Um, PIL unfortunately closed part way through my training contract, um, and so I had to find desperately find somewhere else to complete it. Um, I approached Tucker solicitors who very kindly allowed me to qualify. Um, And at that point, I was still in touch with Paul Heron, who was my supervisor back at Pill. Um, And Paul had set up what was known at the time as as the Public Interest Law Unit, or PILU. Um, And he was working from a desk at Lambeth Law Centre. And he asked whether I'd be interested in sort of developing that unit. So I left my job at Tucker's and worked for him um, as a volunteer solicitor for about six months. Um, And we were doing really well and we were taking on some really big challenges and then Lambeth Law Centre went into liquidation. Um, so uh, we had to find a new home at Camden Law Centre. Um, and then as we kind of became a bit more established, um, we were able to make the step to become a law centre in our own right. Um, and we changed our name from PILU, the Public Interest Law Unit, to PILK, the Public Interest Law Centre. Um, and we now have eight members of staff in total. And we're hoping to become a charity in our own right next year. So I've had quite a long, a long history to get to where I am. <laughs> I love your your journey, Helen. I really do. I've heard it before. It's a real uh, story of determination. And we're always telling our listeners, you know, to own their own journey and to be proud of it. And I really think, you know, your, your route to where you are now highlights that. Yeah, Nigel. No, it's just a thought, Helen. I mean, resilience was the word that jumped out as me, Fran, Fran, as well. Helen, I was just going to ask, in terms of giving our listeners strategies, so when something happens, as you say, like, one of the 
place you were working closed or you had to what did you what strategies did you use to find to find the next opportunity or to find your next step yeah so um I was told by that firm that they would find me somewhere to move on to um and then the closer it got to the time nowhere was being found and I I I mean like all law students you know the the training contract is the holy grail and when you get one you're so excited and you think I'm going to qualify and you planned your whole um career out and I think that um when that happened, I I didn't want to just rely on my law firm to find me somewhere else. And they didn't end up finding me anywhere else. So thank God, I reached out to um, uh, a lawyer that I know at Lee Day and at Tucker's. And um, I wanted to kind of explore crime. So I looked at the areas that my current firm didn't have and um, to sort of broaden my practice. And so Tucker's was a really good fit because I ended up doing prison law and crime and things like that that I would never have done. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So there's something proactive there about use your network and then also then align yourself, as you say, where with a firm that you think might be a nice fit. Yeah. And, and if you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> very good. Nice one. Yeah, very good. What, very what, good. what a phrase. Yeah. Matthew, let's bring you in here. So what are you currently doing and how did you get there? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the public law project. Sure. Um, so my, uh, my casework is also quite um, varied at the moment in terms of the areas that I'm working on. So um, I've got a couple of cases um, on at the moment in relation to universal credit. So um, one or two JRs, um, as well as a couple of um, uh, one or two tribunal hearings uh, coming up as well for um, for universal credit related appeals. I'm also doing some work on asylum support, um, so in particular around um, accommodation provided for, um, for asylum seekers. And I also get to um, be involved with some of PLP's um, sort of broader strategic work where we might be representing um, an NGO or a charity. So yeah, I get, I, I've, been, I've been very fortunate actually. I've been lucky, lucky enough to be involved in, in a sort of fairly broad range of, of PLP's work. And for those who don't know uh, much about Public Law Project, we're a kind of a hybrid organisation in that we're both um, a legal practice and a charity. So we do mainly legally aid um, based uh, uh, public law casework, as well as uh, sometimes representing NGOs and charities. But we also do um, a fair bit of research and policy work as well, um, as well as um, sort of project um, work around our sort of core focus areas. So in particular, I do a fair bit of work around um, universal credit and, and sanctions and conditionality, as well as getting involved a bit in, in our work around legal aid and um, sort of access to, to judicial review and public law remedies. And in terms of how I, I ended up... Um, in the job I'm currently in, um, I mean, I uh, so I did the BPTC um, after doing the GDL, and I had a few goes at trying to get pupillage through the more sort of conventional route, um, and had a few interviews, a few second round interviews, didn't get offered pupillage through that route. But then um, this uh, scheme um, sort of came on my radar called the Justice First Fellowship, which is a um, scheme run by the Legal Education Foundation, which essentially helps uh, social welfare organisations to recruit trainee solicitors and occasionally people barristers as well um, in in those organisations. So often people will be at, um, at law centres or places like PLP or, or other charities, um, and sometimes um, private practice firms as well. Um, and I I was one of the the few to to go around the the pupillage route. So I actually did my pupillage at PLP, qualified um, as a as a barrister there and I've been um, working as an employed barrister since uh, since 2018. So yeah, uh, definitely definitely worth a look out for, for anyone who's inter- inter- interested in looking at sort of social welfare law and public law in particular. That's fantastic. And I think it's really important that, you know, listeners are aware of um, of the, the 
the ju- the Justice First Fellowship scheme that you came through, and you know, have a look at it because that's run by an organisation, isn't it, called the Legal Education Foundation? So, if they wanted to have a little look um, at that further, they could certainly go on on their website. Um, you've both taken really interesting routes into where you are and to your current role, so that's fantastic. Okay, let's just move on, if we can, to the area of public law and, and what it is. So what is it that you enjoy about working in the area of public law? Helen, perhaps we could start with you. I think that public law um, or judicial review can be a really powerful way of holding public bodies to account and um, sort of no, no matter what the subject matter is, right? So, for example, at Pilk, we take on cases relating to housing, homelessness, environmental law, planning, policing, education. I think um, because of that, it it never stops being interesting. And I think that even though um, the experiences of our clients are all very different, um, they do all show the struggle that they face in order to have their basic rights upheld and the the role and importance of public law and judicial review in helping them to access justice. And I think judicial review is becoming increasingly important given the last decade of austerity as well um, and the pressure that that's placed on public services. um, And then that coupled with the government's hostile environment policy and how that all plays out on the ground. um, I think we see the devastating consequences of all of that every day in housing offices, in benefit offices, in detention centres and refuges. Um, And I think so... When you think about public law, you have to situate it in the wider context to really understand the power of it and the importance of it as well. Yeah, you've, you've kind of touched upon those two layers, haven't you? You know, when you step out and how do you do the strategic bigger stuff and how it impacts um, on the more frontline areas. Now, you just mentioned the government's um, hostile uh, policy. Could you tell Alice a bit more about that in case they don't know about it? Yeah, it's basically um, the government had, I mean, Matt actually might be able to answer the question a bit better because I know that he does a lot of immigration work. So maybe we should bring in Matt now. I mean, the hostile environment um, comes from... Uh, and actually an old Theresa May um, policy about the government's attitude to um, what they would describe as illegal migration. Um, and I think actually the phrase actually comes from a speech that she made um, a few years ago where she said she wanted to create a really hostile environment for people who are in this country illegally. Um, and how that sort of manifests itself um, has come up in a number of ways, including, for example, restricting your right to rent, uh, making it harder to access the NHS, making it harder to open bank accounts. And it also, you know, one of the ways in which it really sort of culminated and, and gained a lot of attention in the public eye was how that how that sort of became the Windrush scandal, where people who were without papers, but who'd been in this country perfectly legally for years and years, suddenly became um, sort of embroiled in this in this sort of nightmare of, uh, of sort of government bureaucracy almost. Um, and in some cases resulting in deportations, um, even, though, even though, as I say, many of them well, yeah, everybody who was affected was was here perfectly legally for years and years. Yeah, the hostile environment is 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 a sort of is a way of encapsulating the government's attitude to who they perceive as as illegal um, immigrants in this country. And Matt, just to ask you the same question that I asked Helen, what is it that that you enjoy about working in public law? Why did you choose this route? I think I I, I was initially really attracted to it because I enjoyed the public law module I did on the GDL, and that's how I, I that 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 sort of captured my attention the most out of all the um all the courses just, I did on that and GDL of course graduates diploma in law just for yeah those that's it yeah that yeah might, that might not know it. the conversion course um as it's sometimes called as well yeah um but what I enjoy about it 
now having worked in the field for for a little while is um yeah i think echoing what helen said about how um how empowering it is um for individuals in particular i think in terms of being able to hold public bodies to account whether that's a central government department like the home office or the dwp or whether it's um, a local authority in a you know a homelessness case or um or whatever it might be so i think the the way in which it really empowers individuals is is makes it really, really interesting area to work in but also the variety of the work that you get um i mean Helen and i both talked about the cases that we've got which covers all kinds of different areas of law um and i think there's something about that especially at the junior end which is really um sort of interesting and stimulating because you never get two cases at the same um you never you know even if you think you're dealing with the same area of law they're never going to be you know quite quite as you think they're, they're going to turn out um no two clients are ever going to be the same and in terms of how you have to um grapple with different areas of law i think it's a really really good sort of education especially when you're starting out um and you know you might end up specializing in, in one or two sort of more discrete areas but having a broader background in in public law i think really um, benefits you from from the early stages yeah totally can can see how that could be really uh, provide a really interesting career as well so next question to you both what surprised you um, if anything of course about working in public law when you started to do this area of law helen i don't know if we can come to you first yeah i mean i enjoyed public law at uni um i actually studied at queen mary um but i don't think i ever properly understood how it worked in practice until i was doing my training contract mm-hmm. at public interest lawyers and I actually don't think you ever really know um, an area of law until you're actually working on the cases. Um, and so when I began working on the cases, I'd say that what surprised me was how it's used in so many different areas of law, as Matt's just said as well. Um, the way also it can be used as a tool for wider campaigns and social movements, I hadn't fully appreciated that before. Um, and also the number of people that can be affected by just one public law challenge. So I'd say they're the sort of three things that surprised me about public law. I think one of the things that surprised me and to an extent still continues to surprise me is how the public perceive um, public law or judicial review. Like when you try and explain what it is and what it means, um, that's still, that is a constant sort of challenge for me when I'm trying to explain to my clients, you know, what we're going to do or when I'm trying to explain to an organisation who might be doing training for what judicial review is what it can be used for, what remedies or outcomes the court might might award you if you win. In some ways, it's a it's a nice challenge to have because it means you know you you're 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 when you when you do manage to explain it and people understand it, they realise the power of it. And I think it's it, you know it's always good to sort of increase public legal education where you can. Um, but it's one of those things where you know, with the ongoing sort of review of administrative law, um, you kind of, you don't want it to be one of those things where you don't appreciate it until it's, until it's gone. And so, you know, you can, you can quite easily explain, you know, an appeal in an immigration case or a criminal trial or, you know, a housing appeal in the county courts or whatever it might be, but trying to explain the process of judicial review and the exercise of looking at how the law is meant to apply in a certain decision. Yeah, it's a continual challenge. And I think that, that was something that, that still surprises me is how few people um, outside of law quite understand what that means and how easily they're able to sort of perceive what, what it really means. And you can see it just by looking at newspaper headlines and things like that, you know, over the years, can't you? Absolutely, that there's that, that, that lack of understanding maybe or appreciation perhaps. Okay, let's move on to a topic that students regularly um, come up to me and, and, and say to me, which is I, I want to be a human rights lawyer. 
And of course, everyone has a different view of what that phrase being a human rights lawyer actually means. Um, what do you think it means, Helen? It's a good question. I think uh, a human rights lawyer is someone who challenges the state through legal action and represents um, the rights of those who've been violated, um, but also someone who looks to transforming systems and policies through public interest litigation as well. Um, and the more I've been practicing and I'm learning from my colleague, Paul Heron, who's basically taught me everything I know, um, uh, the more I have learned that being a human rights lawyer can also be someone who um, works closely with other activists and frontline organisations to bridge that gap um, with a view to sort of building wider campaigns around legal challenges and also social movements um, and sees themselves as um, part of that movement, if that makes sense as well. So I think it's also much wider than I initially thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. Because, you know, I, I, I'm with you, you know, I initially... Uh, very much viewed, uh, you know, bail applications in the magistrates' court as as human rights work, and I I still very much view the students who work at our Queen Mary Legal Advice Centre as doing human rights work. But that, of course, is the totally opposite end of the spectrum than than you've you've shone a light on, which is is great to see. Matt, same question to you. In your view, what is a human rights lawyer? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting question because I think when I was a student. Um, I used to think that a human rights lawyer was somebody who worked for someone like Amnesty or um, Liberty. Um, and, you know, you could take the view, you know, more sort of technical view that someone who works, it's not a human rights lawyer, is somebody who applies the European Convention on Human Rights in their day-to-day -day case work. And so from that, you could say, well, somebody who does immigration um, would be a good example of human rights law because they'll be talking about, you know, Article 3, Article 8 or whatever. Um, and you could take the view that somebody who does prison law um, does that kind of work um or you know lots of the other areas that, that helen just mentioned in terms of um as you say bail and criminal cases or um uh, or in some sort of social security sort of context where you might be dealing with discrimination but then you could also take the another way of looking at it would be well are you dealing with a principle or a value which should apply to everybody which you know from one from one view that might be a fairly broad or loose definition of what human rights are is it you know are there values are they sort of um inherent things that everybody has on the basis of being human so does everybody have a right to housing for example um and in which case you know you could say that somebody who works in housing and homelessness is also a human rights lawyer and i think that, yeah there is something to be said about you know doing the kind of work that pushes those boundaries and tries to broaden that that legal definition um to try and encompass um the the issues that that should just apply to everybody um, and sometimes, you know, you do get a bit bogged down in the sort of the political side of things or the activist sort of side of things. Um, but sometimes those kind of issues are the ones that, that push those boundaries and try and increase the scope of what human rights law can cover. Um, so I don't think there is, I don't think there is a sort of a one-size-fits-all answer to what human rights law is. Um, and it's interesting how, you know, if you look at some barrister chambers or some law firms um, who have a civil liberties department or a human rights department, um, often what they are doing is things like actions against police or detention cases, because those are the kinds of things that, that they would say, you know, directly affect somebody's liberty. Um, but, you know, human rights can, can also cover things like your, your right not to be discriminated against or, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think there is one, there is, I don't think there is one answer, but if you're working in public law, chances are you're, you're applying human rights in some context. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it over the spectrum of social justice areas of law as well, that your, your, your comments feed directly in. And of course, there's a great need for, for, for lawyers who work in, in social justice areas of law. You know, I heard a, a story the other day about it taking two years to, to recruit a housing officer. So I think it, it really, sorry, not housing officer, a housing lawyer. So it really is important for our listeners to understand that there are plenty more career paths than just going to the city that provide really rich um, and, and provide variety in a career as well okay um last question to you both um have you got any tips or tricks uh, that you'd like to give any of our listeners who are looking at going into public law or social justice areas of law Helen I don't know if I can start with you um yeah I would say it's important um to recognize that public interest law or strategic litigation is I know I keep banging on about this, but it's always—it's almost always just part of a wider campaign um, or a tool that's being used by a campaign. So I would say a major tip uh, would be to start getting involved in any local or national campaigns and maybe start building relationships with activists and grassroots organisations. Thank you. Um, Matt, same question to you. What tips or tricks do you have? So speak, speak from my own experience. I think um, what really benefited me before I started pupillage was having spent a couple of years working as a welfare rights advisor. So I used to work for a charity called Z2K, um, mainly doing welfare benefits and, and housing and homelessness work. Um, and then before that, uh, sorry, after that, I worked for um, another charity in London called the Air Centre, which is um, sort of a lot of European free movement law and human rights law. Um, and I think that experience of just doing case after case after case and getting a sense of day-to-day issues that um, advisors deal with and their clients deal with um, is really invaluable when it comes to looking at the bigger picture when you do go on to doing things like strategic litigation and sort of public law, um, uh, you know, bigger sort of judicial review cases. So I think having a sense of what the frontline advisors and workers are really doing um, is really, really valuable when it comes to trying to think about the impact of a particular piece of strategic work. And if you can show that in an application or an expression of interest for a particular role that you understand what people are doing on a day-to-day basis I think that that will really put you in a good position. Absolutely they're, they're, they're brilliant tips. Um, Nigel this is the point of the episode where we would usually give our listeners some actions to go away and to do on this particular area. Have you had any thoughts? Yeah there was just a couple and, and I think Helen and Matthew have, have triggered the one, one from each of you. I was really struck by I mean, you mentioned networks again, um, Helen. So I've really struck by the point around networks. You said about building your networks there at the grassroots organisations. So my thought again is I'll take us back to that field of be resilient. And when one door closes, as you say, you don't ask, you don't get, um, Helen. So be resilient. Building your networks in advance so that you create multiple opportunities for yourself career-wise, I think is really helpful. So think about your network and how you can build breadth of opportunity. And from so much you've both said, and Matthew, you just emphasised again there, I'll I'll ask them a reflective question as an action, which is, what type of impact do you want to have? Because some of the amazing examples you've both given us today just make you think really deeply of what type of, how you want to impact the world. So that would be my second one, Fran. What type of impact do you want to have in your career? 
I love that second one. I think that's 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 really special and a question that is often not asked enough, actually, uh, by, by people wishing to go into this area. Okay, so that wraps things up for today. Um, a really big thank you to both Helen and Matthew for your, your brilliant contributions today. Um, and thank you so much to our listeners. Um, and do remember that if you have enjoyed this episode, please do rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And remember, Reimagine Law has a LinkedIn page as well. Please feel free to send us any messages um, with suggestions for topics for future episodes. We really love to, to hear what interests you. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.